cross, Jesus is winning. God so loved the world.
evening Lord we thank you that we can indeed say that through all our lives you've been faithful God and I pray as we hear of Tim's testimony of how you've been faithful through the trials and through the troubles and through the high times as well God in the peaks and in the valleys God you are faithful Lord. we give you all the glory this evening in Jesus name Amen Thank you let's show appreciation to the worship team who have led us so well worship tonight thank you Thank you for being here tonight for another one of our testimony nights. Um, once a month we bring somebody along just to share uh, their story of what God has done in their life. And we're delighted tonight uh, that, that Tim Shields, who's the pastor of the Over Community Church, has come down to Living Hope here uh, to share his story, the amazing story of what God has done in somebody's life and we're delighted and I would like to show you appreciation as bring Tim up onto the, the platform. Uh, good evening Tim, thank you for joining us. Hey, so good to be here. It is great that uh, you've done yes, here tonight. Just, uh, uh, now, when the younger ones do this, they always ask some stupid questions. Yeah. Us, aren't they? Okay. So I feel to Here we go, come on. Yeah, so, Bring it. Like, so we're young. Right, you have to decide. We, we, we want to find out a little bit about you, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just said so. Chinese food or KFC? Ah, Chinese all day. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Twice on a Sunday. Yeah. Uh, tea or coffee? Coffee. Uh, okay. Uh, one of the questions he asked: Would you rather have feet for hands or hands for feet? Hands for feet. But that's quite good. I don't do that. Okay. Next question: uh, Rangers or Celtic? Uh, right, oh, no, no, maybe we'll come back later. I'm sorry, that's uh, no. Oh, that's a whole deal. Aberdeen? No, just remember <laughs> where you are. 
I was I joking. Said, I was joking with Pastor Matt this morning when I when I messaged him and I said, "Is it okay if I wear my Celtic cup tonight?" I was standing. I was standing ironing it at the time, and he said, "Well, you might not make it out." No, I said, "We're up to everything here, church, aren't we?" Yeah, of course. <laughs> Listen, we've even let Liverpool supporters in tonight. Oh yeah, I know. So now we have to clear something else up here mm -hmm. as well because yes. your 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 name on social media is the faster pastor. Yes. Now in a second you can explain why you're called the faster pastor, but I think you need to owe an, an apology to me because that was my name, uh, the faster pastor. <laughs> okay. And I, I, I could do a trade with you. Are you okay? You, yeah. You can have the slicker vicar. Oh. <laughs> The slick, that's not bad, okay, that's it, well, I'll go for that, like, yes, that, the slicker vicar, that's good, because those of us, those who played football with me in the younger days, Darren and Stephen, and uh, that, they always assumed I was the faster pastor, didn't you? And, uh, but no, they didn't do that. They're, they're, by way of introduction, why are you called the faster pastor? Now, don't be humble here, because this stuff's, this stuff's good. Okay, this so is why he's called the faster pastor. Don't be humble. Okay, the humility will come later, okay? Yeah, so I, okay. You know, I'm very humble. <laughs> Modest as well. I have, in recent years, been the British champion, the Irish champion, over 800 metres and 400 metres on the track, the running track, both indoor and outdoor. I have uh, an Irish record on the track, um, been to a couple of world championships, a uh, couple of European championships, and I have yet to meet a pastor who can beat me in a race. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. The length of the car park, okay? That's good. So that's why you're called the faster pastor? Yes. Now, that, that's amazing. That's pretty good. Tagline there, that I think is amazing. But yeah. we're delighted that you're, you're here tonight. Because these testimony nights are simply an opportunity for somebody to share their story of what God has done in their life. And so with some questions, and, mm -hmm. uh, and then we're going to, rather than you, what we usually do, which is where we, we maybe bring the lectern and get somebody to preach, we just want you to share your story, but also to share the message of the, the gospel as well that has changed your life as well. Mm -hmm. And I know you'll, you'll do that. Whatever sort of things to say tonight yeah. and stuff, will we? No. No, not at all. <laughs> That's good. So tell us a little bit about yourself to start with, just uh, who you are, family wise. Absolutely. Is. So, current life, living in Oma, the promised land, and um, married to the most patient, loving, solid, stubborn, <laughs> in the best possible way. A woman called Jenny, and together Jenny and I have got four children. We have a set of twins who are 22, and we have an 18-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old daughter. And we lead a church in Oma, and we thought life isn't busy enough for us, so we decided that we'd also get two Labrador pups as well, <laughs> called Junior and Bailey. Junior and Bailey uh, have decided to take over my bed and the bags under my eyes that you may or may not be able to see is due to lack of sleep from having the dogs in the bed. Yeah, so I can relate to that. Says we have a dog and it, when we got the dog we said dog will never be upstairs, the dog will stay downstairs. It's like I sleep downstairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the dog house. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now can I just say about your church because I've been up there. This guy has the best church building ever. Because it is above a Bob and Bert's. That's, I mean, that is, you know, Bob and Bert. And so, if you want to meet this guy, that's where you meet him. When I've met him a couple of times, that's where we meet. And nobody could be happier than me. Nobody. <laughs> because we get to have the, what's that wee breakfast wrap? The breakfast wrap. Oh, dear. Um, if you that's haven't it. been anyway. to Bob and Bert's, yeah, you haven't lived. And if you haven't had a breakfast wrap, then there's something seriously wrong with you. Yeah. I've just realised my wife's here, and the two times I met you, I told her I had a salad. Uh, so, whoops. Whoops, but we'll change that one. Right, okay, tell us a little bit about the early life. So, okay, so I grew up in, in the northwest, um, in the Maiden City, and mum and dad were relatively successful outwardly. 
So my dad ran the health service for the Northwest region. My mum was an A&E nurse. And they both grew up in a lot of dysfunction. So both their fathers were alcoholics. So they grew up in around brokenness. All of my dad's brothers are challenging. It's probably the best way to say it. My mum's side, there's, there's lots of challenges as well from everything from pedophilia right through to addiction. And then on, on my dad's side, we'll probably get into this a little bit later on. There's a lot of brokenness there. Mum and dad seem to be the ones who, <coughs> on the outside looking in, had it together. And so growing up, you know, there was, uh, in, the, in the 70s and the 80s, it was unusual for people to have like two cars at the front door and to be holidaying regularly, things like that. And that was, that was the environment that, that, that we grew up in. And so the outside looking in, um, we, were, we were a great family. But there was a lot of brokenness. Um, and understanding more of the legacy of brokenness now is that, you know, it is generational. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we do receive um, messages and brokenness that's passed down because hurt people hurt people and behavior impacts behavior. And so for both my sister and I, you know, we, we grew up in a, in, in a home where financially we were secure. We knew we were loved, yeah. but sometimes knowing it is not enough if you don't feel it. And so there was a, a, a challenge around that, particularly, particularly for me. My daddy is transgender. And so I, we, I didn't know that growing up. And my mum has explained to me that part of the reason that my relationship with my dad was always quite difficult was that when I was a kid, he didn't want to connect with me. He didn't want to acknowledge me because in many ways, I now know that I reminded him of his masculinity. And I reminded him of the fact that, you know, he was a man and he had the, the fruit of his relationship um, with my mum was that he had, he had a son. And so I always felt a distance and a, and, and a discord. And it was only 15 years ago when 12 years ago, sorry, 12 years ago when my dad decided that it was time for him to tell the world who he felt that he was, that actually these things began to make sense. Yeah. I, I wonder how much that, that's part of your, your testimony mm -hmm. or your story. Yeah. Uh, but is there a point when you were growing up that you just suddenly, that was, you would go down the wrong path, the sort of, there was all this stuff going on mm -hmm. that you, you, you'd said you're hurt, broken, and you thought that I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to take something, get involved in something that just sort of took the numbness. Mm -hmm. They made you numb in a sense, you know. That's what we chatted about. Mm -hmm. The sort of was there a point in time? Was there an age, or was it just a, a gradual thing as part of the journey? Yeah, so it wasn't so much that I was looking for a painkiller. Yeah. I, I always sought acceptance. Okay. And um, so growing up, I was a high achiever until I was like 14. I was like a grade A student. I was an international athlete as a, as, as a junior. Yeah. Uh, those of you who are old enough will remember that Steve Cram was great, and at the time there was talk about me becoming the next Steve Cram. I was into everything. I sang, was on the debating team, played the piano, the, the, the clarinet. So I was, I was always seeking yeah. acceptance and looking for somewhere to fit in. And then when I had 14, I wanted a girlfriend. And it was as simple as that. I just, I wanted a girlfriend. And in order to pluck up the courage, to talk to a girl, let alone have a kiss or, or whatever, I looked at what all of the other kind of cool people, if you like, yeah. at my age at that time, uh, were doing, and it was alcohol. And so I just thought, you know what, that's, that's what I'm gonna do. And that's when I realized that it was a painkiller. So I didn't go into it seeking yeah, yeah. a painkiller, but I found one. Yeah. And so I started drinking, and then, very quickly, uh, alcohol turned to, to drugs and all of the things that I was doing that I was getting my sense of identity from, you know, from their success and all of those things began to, to disappear and I fell into a vicious circle okay. of feeling negative about myself because I wasn't getting the recognition and the ex acceptance from success 
and my painkiller was drugs and alcohol. Yeah. So it was a very quick downward spiral okay. where I went from lofty great heights to the, the gutter very quickly. Okay. And, and this was while you were at school, you were a teenager mm -hmm. yeah, 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 still at school, and, yeah. and you finished school, you were able to do that? I got, got to GCSE level, yeah, yeah okay. just about. So yeah. that's it. So yeah. 16 then, uh -huh. what, what did you do then? You left school? Left you school, know. went on to a YTP scheme, 40 pound a week, and spent that in like five minutes, as soon as I got it, and then went robbing for all of the other money, okay. and got involved in criminality to, um, to fund a habit that I couldn't afford. Yeah. And, and how long did that go on for? Because I know this is all part of your story, mm -hmm. that, you know, where you were, that suddenly the, the, the addiction is there. Yeah. And you know you've you, you've gone down that that path uh, as as with addiction, it, you know mm -hmm. we think we're in control until we realise mm -hmm. we're not in control, yeah. and then we have to do all the other stuff that yeah. tries to feed that mm -hmm. addiction. But what at what point was that sort of was that going on for a few years? Was that you know the sort of that? I went from my highest point to my lowest point in a six-year period. And so what started off with, with a bottle of Taunton cider, that's what it was, um, ended up a 400 pound a day habit, which then left me homeless in, in, in Dublin. I was asked to leave um, the, the area that I lived in by a paramilitary organization because of my antisocial behavior. And that's how I ended up in, 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 in Dublin. And, and at this stage, I'm kind of jumping back and forth. Uh, at this stage, I haven't had a relationship or a conversation with my dad in a while. And the last time that I saw him prior to being asked, politely asked by a man who had no face, um, to leave the, the area, I had a knife to his throat. Uh, if you don't give me money, I'm going to cut you. And kind of that, the, the, the brokenness that, was, that, that existed around that was... was and and that, that led you to live in on the streets in, in Dublin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and how long were you living on, on the streets? That's roughly two and a half years. About two and a half years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to fund the habit then? From the habit, I was prostitution, crime, street robberies, car, car theft, and, um, and, and burglary. Okay, so you, you really, I mean, there was no other description of you just being at rock bottom or something. Aye. That's it, there's no other word to, word to describe. But, but what, what happened then? What, because obviously once we're, we're, you're there at rock bottom, it, it's, you know, what happened then to turn, turn your life around to sort of that? My, my pathway, to getting healthier was a long journey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had an aha moment, but the aha moment was about nine years in the making. Okay. And yeah. it actually started with a nun called Sister Concilio. And this wee lady would walk the streets of Dublin and she'd connect with, um, with people like me and love on them. And the beautiful thing about her was that any time I'd asked her for money, she'd always say no, because she understood the power of relationship. And when I would ask her for money, she'd say, no, but can I buy you something to eat? And when she would buy me something to eat, she would uh, begin to speak life and love and hope into my world. And do you have any dreams? Uh, what do you, you know, what did you dream about when you were a kid? Tell me about your family. And eventually she got me into rehab. And so I got into rehab, did a stint in rehab and come out and I thought I was cured. And um, the first night out of rehab, I met my wife, Jenny. And I met her in a nightclub because she was selling drugs and I bought drugs from her. And I, match made in heaven. <laughs> that's, that's very romantic. Isn't yeah, it? I know, yeah, 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 yeah. She had great angles. Yeah, so, so do you come out of rehab? Now you, I know, and you're not mommy saying this because it's you're in rehab four mm -hmm. or five times, aren't you? Yeah, you know, on the night, yeah. All together, you know, so, and so, and you said that's part of the, the journey to, to where you are today. Yeah. Was there a significant point in your life that sort of that, that spiritual, I knew that, that you know, that, 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 that Jesus Christ was real, that he could change my life, transform my life, uh, you know, it, it's, because obviously when you're in the situation that you're in, uh, and really you're looking for the next fix, and, with, with, and so when somebody comes along and says, well, there's somebody called Jesus who, died on the cross for the things you've done wrong, the list is endless. Mm -hmm. Was there a point that that just, the, I suppose, the, the eyes rolled? There was, road? yes, but that was a really long journey. Let me just say this, if yeah. it's okay. Yeah. There's never been a day in my life, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart and with all sincerity, there's never been a day in my life 
that I haven't believed in the existence of God. Never. My stumbling block was always that if God is so holy and so perfect and so righteous, why would he want to have anything to do with someone as broken as me? And I could never get beyond that. And so when I met Jenny, Jenny was selling drugs and I was taking them. I moved in with her the the hour I met her. I never left. It was like a bad rash. I just got under her skin and never left. And, um, And we went on this kind of journey together. We had kids together. Uh, We ended up relocating to the UK for a while. She had an affair with my best friend. She got pregnant with our middle child. I returned back to Northern Ireland with the twins and lived uh, with my parents for a while. Jenny then decided that when she was pregnant with with our, our, our middle girl that she would come to Derry, give birth to our middle girl in Derry, and she got saved. Aha. And um, there was something very beautiful and very attractive about what was happening in, in her life. She was a very broken girl. I, a very broken girl. Uh, we were both very broken together. But she got accepted, after she gave, said yes to Jesus, she got accepted into university to study nursing with the goal of becoming a midwife. And she started winning awards. And her life was like dramatically being transformed before my very eyes. <clears throat> and she, it's funny that Alan and Dorothy are, 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 are here to, to the front tonight. One of the times that um, I managed to make it to church, Alan, Alan was preaching, because Jenny would say to me, come, if you have the kids at the weekend, because we would take them, I would have them for four days, she would have them for four days, and I'd have them for four days, and she'd have them for four days. And, and if I had the kids, she would say, would you please bring them to church? And because I'd never had any issues with the concept of God, yeah. I couldn't find a good enough reason not to bring the kids to church. <clears throat> and anyway, um, one, one day she said, I'm going to be sharing my story at church. It wasn't a weekend that I had the kids. It was kind of, you know, on my four days off, if you like. And she says, I'd really love you to come. And I was like, I couldn't think of a lie good enough at the time to say no. So I went, and Jenny got up, and she shared her story of the other characteristics of God that I couldn't comprehend. And so we all, many of us, particularly in in Northern Ireland and the culture and society that we grow up in, we have no problem understanding God as a judge and as a, you know, a sovereign, and many of us will believe that he's sitting in heaven with a holy pitchfork waiting to stab us, you know, at his, at his first opportunity, or nail us to the cross if, 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 if he can. But Jenny got up, and, and, and she shared about the God of grace, and the God of love, and the God of mercy, the God of forgiveness, the, the God of patience, and, and, and the God of compassion. And she attributed all of the transformation that was taking place in her life to the goodness of God and her obedience to God. And I just thought, do you know what, God? If you can do that for her, would you please do it for me? I don't want to live like this anymore. And at the end of the, the service, and I believe there will be an opportunity for this to happen later on as well, is that I was asked, was I ready to trust God with my life? Could I recognize him as a savior? Could I recognize him as, as my Lord and could I trust him with my future and my past and, and my present? And when I, I was asked the question, I, I said yes. And within a very, very short space of time, I was completely surrendered to the will of God and, and, and my life. And Jenny and I weren't together at this stage. We were still living separate. We were looking after the children separately and living, living separate lives and then we just fell in love. Uh, when it was, was really that beautiful. Yeah, when, when was that now? Just to give us a timeline. We so. got married in 2006, so probably 2004-ish, okay. thereabouts, yeah. And the yeah. night that you <coughs> sort of got saved for the mm-hmm. language that we use, is that, what, what not, when was that? 2004. 2004, yeah. and that was, uh, and would you, you, obviously it must have been this sort of radical life-changing transformation Completely. just to come from as you say the hurt and the brokenness and 
and everything, just to come and realize it's a God that loves me and the grace that he's, he's shown me mm -hmm. uh, and stuff. And would you, I, I've always, I, I love the Brian Somerville story because a few of us love, a few of us know Brian Somerville here from uh, CCI. And so th this just sums up your te part of your testimony, doesn't it? So would yeah. you tell, tell that story? Uh, Brian Somerville is one of the leaders in the CCI along with Sean Malaki, who's been up here to preach. So uh, share that story, Tim, that's a good I, one. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for reminding me of that. So Brian, Brian Somerville, when I said yes to the call of Jesus um, to receive forgiveness, Brian was the assistant pastor along with um, Andrew McCourt was the senior pastor of uh, Cornerstone City Church in, up, up in Derry. And Brian was my landlord prior to me getting saved. Brian evicted me <laughs> from the... Imagine, imagine how I'm a Christian making me homeless. <laughs> Brian evicted me uh, from the, the property that I was renting from him. Um, hadn't paid any rent in six months. He had every right to evict me, just for clarity. <clears throat> and so I'm going to Cornerstone. Brian's preaching. I'm seeing him in the corridors, and every time I see him, head down. Don't make eye contact. Go to the, you know, walk in the opposite direction, bend down, tie your shoelaces, whatever it was to, to, to avoid him. And I just remember thinking to myself that this community of people are the most genuine, loving, compassionate, generous, real community of people I've ever encountered in my life. And I don't want to not stay here. But unless I address the situation with Brian Somerville, I can't stay here because every time I see him, I want to run. So I put my big boy pants on and I picked up the phone and I rang Brian and I said, Brian, is there any chance that we could maybe have a cup of coffee and and a chat, I'd just love to chat through, through some things with you. He said, what are you doing now? I was unemployed, so I was doing nothing. And, I, and he said, let's meet in a coffee shop on Spencer Road in the waterside. And we went, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I disrespected your business, and I was rude to you, and na, 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 na. And he looked at me, and he said, hey, big man, do you know what? God has already forgiven you. I'm so glad that you are part of the church that Jesus is working in your life and without even skipping a beat he said are you in a connect group or a house group I don't know what you call them here home groups life group and I was like what's that and he said you should come to my house tonight and I'll show you so I went to Brian's house that night and I was immediately embraced into a family and um, Brian and I have been working together ever since I was, I was on staff with him uh, in Cornerstone we sit on the board with, for CCI, we, we run the academy together, and um, we just have this incredible relationship that was really birthed, and I suppose the beautiful thing about that moment, that encounter with Brian, was that it was a physical and vis visible human representation of what happens to us when we say yes to Jesus. When we kind of seek his forgiveness, we're given automatic forgiveness, and we're welcomed and embraced into the family of God. That's a beautiful thing. Brilliant. And have you ever paid him the rent? Him? <laughs> <No>? <laughs> my parents, just for clarity's sake, oh, my parents, God bless them, were guarantors. They paid it. Because oh. they were taken to court and had to. Oh, well. <laughs> Great story there. Going back, because that, that talks about the change, the fruit, and the change in your mm -hmm. life. I know we could be here all night, as we, we were chatting earlier. What are the other changes? The oh, other, stop. I mean, what, the, the stuff that as far as family goes, as mm -hmm. a, you know, just, a, yeah. you know, what else has changed? So there's something very beautiful. We, you know, I, I alluded to the generational stuff earlier. Is that the bloodline of the Shields family changed the day I said yes to Jesus. And so the legacy of my father and my father's father and my father's father and my father's father stopped the day that I said yes to Jesus because the Shields family came under a new authority and were given a new bloodline. And it was the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's a really beautiful thing. So if you meet my son, any of my children, 
if you meet any of them now, he's like, you would not believe that for the first seven years of their lives, their parents were drug addicts. Because what God has done in their lives has been nothing short of miraculous. And it's beautiful. And so to watch them growing up in, a, in, a, in an environment that is far from perfect, but less dysfunctional than it was, with parents who are prepared to roll their sleeves up and go into the depths of their brokenness and sacrifice it at the altar. You know, we were singing songs um, before, before we started about, you know, yeah. bringing our stuff to God and actually... For us as a family, being able to do that is, is really beautiful. So, like, Jenny had an affair with my best friend. But, yeah, I don't see that. I see this beautiful woman who is, who's my wife. So, stuff like that has just been really just quite miraculous. Obviously, giving, being given a sense of purpose. Yeah. You know, and leading a church, honestly. Yes, t- tell us a bit about this, because the church is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, the, you know, and... Just the, the stories of, of God's, God's grace in mm-hmm. your lives. Because it, it just, we, we, we chatted and we talked about this and said that when we were sitting, having coffee, we were saying that God would pick us. And we both said that. We sat and said that God would pick us. That, you know, of all the people, uh, you know, in all the places, you know, we get this amazing privilege to do yeah. what you do in Omer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a Bob and Bert's yeah. and what we do here. Favor. You know, and, and living hope. <coughs> what, 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 what's that like? Because, t- you know, you, you were here before. Tell the story about being here and living so, hope a few years ago. So I was, I was uh, leading a thriving, and I, and I use that word intentionally, thriving children's ministry in Cornerstone City Church. We had a, a team called the Extreme Team, very similar to the work that Crown Jesus does. Traveled around Northern Ireland, sometimes had the privilege of going over the border into the Republic, and on any given day, I could have had an audience of 800 to 1,200 people. <clears throat> and I thought I'd be Mr. Children's Ministry forever, because it was great, I loved it, I loved the opportunity to, my thing was raise a generation to change a nation. And we need a generation to change this nation, more than ever. And I wanted to be a part of that. And then, one day I came to Living Hope <laughs> Church in the Shankill Road in Belfast. And there's a room just up there behind you. And in that room at the time, there was a gentleman by the name of Gary Davidson. Gary Davidson is a, a lifelong friend of Jenny's family. And he's become a lifelong friend of mine. My kids call him Uncle Gary. But Gary at that time was stepping down from his role as the Sean Malarkey, if you like, of, of, of AG at the time, or CCI as, as we know it now. And they put a map up on the wall. And the map on the wall was a map of Ireland. And on the map of Ireland, there were little pockets of light coming out from the map in the areas in which AG at the time had represented representative churches in, in those areas. And there was nothing north of Derry and there was nothing west of Derry. And God put it in my heart that Oma, sorry, excuse me, didn't need a new church, but it needed a great one. And so I went back to Andrew at the time, Andy McCourt, and I said, hey, big man, I really feel God's got a word for you. And he's like, oh, all right, okay, here we go. And I said, you need to plant a church in Oma. Okay. And then nothing ever happened. I started to get increasingly frustrated with the fact that nothing was happening. And then God said, You need to go. And I went, Eh, eh. <laughs> Not me, God. And then God started to haunt me. Not that God haunts us, by the way. He's holy. Let's just say he was beginning to get my attention. And some of you will remember the, the, the bomb. It's what Oma is, is, is best known for. And after the bomb went off, there was a, an album 
that was released. And one of the songs on the album had a song on it, and I won't sing it, I'll spare you that. But the lyrics of the song were this, you can have my heart, but it isn't me. It's been used and broken and only comes in blue. It's been down a long road and it got dirty on the way. If I give it to you, will you take the pain away? And I used to hear that in my sleep. And it broke my heart. And I said, God, what do you need to do? What is it that you, what is it that you want us to do? And he just, all, 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 I, all, all we heard was, just go. Just go. So we sold our house on Just Go. And we moved to Oma. And we believed that as we were transitioning to the move, that God has given us a, a message. And this is a message that's relevant to anybody. But it was a message that we just felt was very relevant to the people of Oma at the time. And it was very simply this. Your future is brighter than the darkness of your past. So we just felt compelled to go and relate and connect and love on some people just to say your future is brighter than the darkness of your past. And as we began to connect and relate in this journey, transition after selling the house and then finding somewhere to rent for a while and as all of that was happening, we connected with some people in Oma who had a church called Oma Community Church. Oma Community Church had gone pastorless for five years. They had gotten into a lot of debt. They had a very broken relationship, we shall say, with the people in Oma. And um, they weren't known for great feats for God. And, um, and we just felt that actually for that church and for the people of Oma, we just had to say your future is brighter than the darkness of your past. And so God gave us a restoration project that um, that we've been building into in, in Oma and the restoration project was to see hearts healed, see lives transformed in the same way that Jenny and I have been. Brilliant. I know when I, when I was up there for the day and it was very similar to us here that we were chatting but there was a group over in the corner meeting that you just said they need somewhere to meet. So Oma community, it just serves the community. There's a the food bank there and there's all the other different rooms. And there's some great stories with the building yeah. as well. And it's not just about the building. The thing we're fascinated by is uh, that God takes you from the person you once were and almost it would be enough if we were just saved. It would be enough if we just made it in. But he does more than that. Yeah. Uh, he gives us his plan and his yeah. purpose. And so tell us something about some of the stuff that the church does and, and, and some of the, because I know you've seen some incredible things there, even as far as the, the building goes. This is right in the, the, the town centre of Omer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Miss some of those. God is, God is so good. The, the, the most visible change to the, the town of Oma is the location of our, of our church building. When Jesus turns up, everything changes. And so we put the church in the darkest place in Oma. That's where our church building is. And so when we took on this particular building, 80% of the, the buildings were vacant. And the 20% of the buildings that were inhabited, one was a, a sex shop. The other was, a, a, at the time, a, a drugstore. And then the third property was a snooker hall. And when the church turned up, when Jesus turned up, everything changed. And the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. And so right now, as it stands at the minute, every property in that area has got a life-giving business in it. And I'm telling you, there's not a person on this planet will be able to change my mind on this. It's because the church turned up. Yeah. So, so that's a very visible... Yeah. representation of how Jesus just changes environments and transforms communities. 
But then when you break it down then into the individual, one of the best things that we do is that we serve Christmas dinner on Christmas Day. People are like, oh, you give up your Christmas Day and your church is amazing. I'm like, you need to come and do Christmas with us. Every Christmas, um, bar COVID, you know, we sit down with 150 people. And you don't need to be financially broken in the best possible way or, you know, in, in need. It could be emotional, you could be lonely, or you just might just want to have Christmas on a, on, a, on a grand scale. And people are invited into this community of faithful people, which is the church. And we get to connect and we get to love and we get to demonstrate the, the, the heart of God. And for us, you know, people say, and, you know, it's very sacrificial in what we do and that we're missing out. And actually, we just feel so blessed that we're able to love our, our, our town in that way. And so if you ask people in Oma, uh, or if you say Oma Community Church, first thing, they're the guys that love our community. They're the guys that do Christmas dinner on Christmas Day. That's awesome. And what that does then is that that gives us permission to speak into people's lives uh, in such a way that we can bring the kingdom of God to life. And so uh, we've got individuals coming in who are suffering from addictions, who are being set free. We've got you know mental health groups coming in that are being loved, and there's a transition into the church and seeing their lives being transformed. And it's yeah. all just interlinked. And just intertwined into this kind of choreography that God is doing through the Oma Community Church. Brilliant. Yeah. The, the final question tonight, yes. and this yeah. is really how we want to fit it, because we, we are touched, amazed at the story of what God has done in your life. But there are going to be people sitting in here tonight who mm -hmm. invited along to church, much like you yeah. were when Jenny gave a testimony. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and you've shared your story of this is how changes a person's life has it changed our life what could you share that just says this is the truth this is what people need in their life this is how it changes mm -hmm. your life yeah. because he's done it for you it's a it's a faith issue and the bible is very clear on this it says if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then, then you're saved. And the question is, well, saved from what? Is it my get out of hell card? Is it my get into to heaven card? And it's so much more than that. Because our salvation, this, this saving grace that God gives us, we're saved from the power of sin, we're saved from the penalty of sin, and we will be saved from the, the presence of sin when, when, when we go to glory. And all God asks is that, that we believe. And he actually, it's, it says in, in, in the, the New Testament Gospel of John that for those who believe, they're given the right to be called children of God. And I love this concept of, of, of being a, a child of God. And we chatted about this a little bit before we, we, we came out. What does it mean to be a child of God? And how can I, how can I be a, a child of God? And I think... If you're anything like me and you've lived a performance-based life, you might think that your qualification into the family of God is based on what you do. And it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done. And because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, everything that we need to live the life that God has for us is available through faith in Jesus Christ. Like I believe this with all of my heart, that God has got a prepared future for each of us that Jesus died on the cross to secure for us. And so Jesus lived the perfect life to become the perfect sacrifice so that we could be made perfect and holy and then be seen as the righteousness of God. But then it goes so much further than that. And here comes the book plug, because uh, I'm in the middle of writing a book at the moment, and it's called I Am. And it's really... Uh, 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 an unpacking and an understanding of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, birthed out of my broken journey. Um, I've been walking with God for a while, but yet I've still found that trouble has come, and there have been times when I've felt a little bit defeated and a little bit broken um, in my walk and, and in my journey where stuff has come and not that I've questioned God or I've questioned 
the call of God in my life, but sometimes I've kind of weaned or, or faded and thought maybe I'm not the right man for the job, and I always find the answers in the Word of God. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and in the first chapter of this letter to the Ephesian church, there's a load of things that Paul talks about, about us being chosen, adopted, predestined, and, and using all of these types of words. And I thought, actually, I am chosen by God. And my selection by God, his desire to choose me, has nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. Like before God made the world, right? Before God made you, in spite of everything that he knew that you were going to do and not do, say and not say, everywhere that you were going to go and, and not go, every sin that you were going to commit and every act of disobedience that you were going to exhibit and every act of obedience that you were going to do, basically everything about you, he knew in advance, and yet he still chose to make you. And not only did he choose to make you, but he also chose to save you. And so if you look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, it says that God chose us, he predestined us to adopt us into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So before the word began, God knew that you would be sitting in this room tonight, and he knew that you were going to be presented with an opportunity um, to actually say, do I want to be a child of God? And all that you've got to do to become a child of God is just believe. That's it. It's like you don't need to pray, you know, 100 prayers. You know, you don't need to read, like, 600 million verses. Like, you don't have to, like, slay yourself with a whip or whatever. Float your boat. Like, none of, literally, just, just believe. And to think that this God who is, like, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Great I Am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, who was and is and is to come, full of grace, full of mercy, full of compassion, holy, perfect, righteous, and sovereign, looks at you and he says, I choose you. I want you and my family. I want you to be my child. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. And together then we can change the world because I want you to go and tell other people about my goodness and my gentleness and my kindness and my sovereignty and my forgiveness so that they can become part of the family and we get to do this together. And this is a beautiful thing and I'm, I'm excited. And uh, it's this beautiful thing that happens where because we are children of God, we get to partner with him in extending his kingdom to see his kingdom come and to see his will be done on earth as it is here in heaven through our lives. But then there's this beautiful thing. I don't know what it's like for you, but even now, like my, my relationship with my father is, is a challenging, right? But yet as a child of God, I'm promised a new identity. I'm adopted into a new family and I'm given a new identity. I'm a Christian. I'm in Christ. My identity isn't found in what I did or what I said or what I haven't done or what I'm going to do. My identity is found in Jesus Christ and who he says I am, which is a child of God. And so as a child of God, then I'm given the protection of God. I have the spiritual protection of heaven. Come on, somebody. Then I also am promised the presence of God. I have access to the Father, not because of my conduct, but because of his character, and I can approach his throne of grace with confidence, going, Abba, Father. Do you know what I call God? Big man. As an, as an attitude of kind of, you know, recognition of his lordship and, and his father in my life. But this level of intimacy, do you know this? I'm preaching now. God's deepest desire is this, right? I believe this with all of my heart. God's deepest desire is that you would know him as intimately as he knows you and that you would love him as deeply as he loves you. And that is made available to us. God promises us his presence as our father. So we are given his protection spiritually. We're given his a relationship with him intimately where we can know him as Father, Abba Father, the Lord of Lords, Abba Father. He's my dad. My dad. My dad's bigger than your dad. No, our dad. Our dad. Hear me. Our dad, right, is Abba. And then, the, and then the final thing is this, is that as a child, right, my daughter Kayla, you need to meet her, right, my, my daughter Kayla, she is convinced that I own Brinks, Okay. And that she just thinks that I've got a Brinks van full of money, right? Daddy, give me that. Da daddy, 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 daddy. As children, we are promised the provision of the Father. And so as children of God, we are given a new identity. We're given the protection, the provision, and the presence of the Father. And through that outworking of walking the earth with him. Do you know that the God that we walk to is the God that we walk with? 
And the God that we seek to spend eternity with is the God that we walk the earth with. And so everything of the Father is made available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Like there's nothing of God that you can't have through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this transformation journey that I am on, this walk of obedience, this desire to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is just given to me. Why? Because I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. That was the short answer. Sorry. Yeah. Do you want the long that's one? A, no, that's what <laughs> Listen, it couldn't, be any, it couldn't be any clearer than that, could it? And I don't know, our, our time has gone. I know that we, that we could carry on chatting here all night, but mm-hmm. you, you, are, you are a trophy of grace of what God has done in, in your life. And, and I often use this quote, there are no great men and women of God. They're just men and women of a great God. That he has just yeah. done just an amazing work in your life mm-hmm. as he has in, in others that are here. And we are just so, uh, just encouraged and challenged to hear that story. But we said before, we, we don't just want it for people just to be, uh, this is a story of, of Tim and what's going on in his life. It leaves people with a choice. Yeah. It leaves people with a decision because they listen and say, is, is, is it real and true only for him or for, for me or for others? But is it true, real and true for, for everybody? And it is. Uh, and, and Tim has given the reason. He says, those who believe, those who believe, those who have the faith. And so we're, we're just going to close in prayer. And then the team are going to lead us in our final song. But listen, afterwards, we are going to be at the door there. Please don't go home tonight without having a conversation with this man. Please don't go home tonight if you are sitting there thinking to yourself, you know what, I need to make tonight the night. This is why you're here. This is why church is on. He says, because tonight is the night. And you may think to yourself, hey, you know, I'm too broken. I've too many hurts. I'm too far gone. Listen, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not for God to reach you. And a conversation with this man afterwards will convince you of that and we want to present that opportunity to anybody at the end of the service we can pray with you in one of the side rooms uh, as you know the side room there is where the anointing is for planting the, uh, is, the yeah. church we all know the anointing is on the Shankle road don't we we all know that so listen we can pray with you and and chat with you but listen don't go home tonight wasting the opportunity jesus christ changes people's yeah. lives and, does, and that's yeah. the testimony here of a man whose life has been changed by Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Tim, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Father God, we come before you tonight. We thank you, Father, for the story that we've heard tonight, a testimony of your grace for your glory, for the change and transformation that you've made not just in in Tim's life his family's life oh God that you are the restorer of marriages and relationships the Father God nobody is too far gone away from you and Father while we are finishing with this final song Lord let, let your spirit move Father God let it stir hearts tonight Father God for those who don't know your son as their personal saviour Father let this be the night Father let this be the night for your son still changes people's lives. And we believe that tonight. We pray for it tonight. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you want to stand? Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope and no place to be. was arrested in my life again. Ash was redeemed, only beauty
song of the redeemed they would join with us god we thank you not for tim's story god but for your story and tim's life god for how you've changed him and how you've molded him how you're using him for your glory and god how that invitation is open to each and every one of us god lord we know you as a father and we know you as a friend god and i pray that tonight each and every one of us would have that experience and know you as their savior in jesus name we give you all the glory amen